Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of art, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hasham Montasir. I'm joined on today's episode by Rania Al-Khatib. Rania started her journey in the retail world with the Azadeya Group and then followed by the Shalhoub Group in 2006, where she spent nearly 15 years. Over the span of her career, Rania has introduced numerous international brands to the region, the likes of Bershka and Ralph Lauren. She eventually launched Level Shoes for Shalhoub Group, which caused a big stir in retail circles at the time and was lauded for its innovative and customer-centric approach. Rania has a deep understanding of the brand-customer relationship as well as product market fit, and she now advises her clients under her own consultancy, the RMK Collective. In this episode, we delve into all of these aspects of Rania's journey, including the key elements that led her to push for her own personal transformation. Rania is very active on social media, where she shared her thoughts, including her vulnerabilities, quite openly, and has become a trusted voice for her generation of women and beyond. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. I've been following you for some time. You have such an interesting story. Thank and you. there's so much to unpack. I'm going to go right in it. Uh, I don't think we'll be able to do everything, but I'll try to, to catch most of the highlights. My first point is uh, something you actually mentioned offline a few minutes ago, which was so interesting. You mentioned COVID being for you a moment of truth in a way. I don't want to be mm-hmm. dramatic about it, mm-hmm. but a moment where you kind of, it enabled you to step outside of yourself for a moment and look in. And as a result of that, you went through a couple of quite radical transformations when it comes to your career, your, you know, the things you think about, your priorities. Because I followed some of your blogs, your articles, etc. You were going through it and you could see the inching towards yeah. a transformative behavior. Absolutely. And I think that that was also therapeutic for me to do it live. Why did you do it? Why did you do the whole thing? How Was it just COVID and one day you were like, you know what, I need to change something? Um, wow. You know, um, during COVID, the fact that we actually worked from home, the fact that my kids were home, the fact that, you know, my husband and I were home um, and I didn't have to run, 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 run. Which you were doing for many, many years. For many years, I was like on autopilot and I didn't realize I was because I was so passionate about what I was doing. Can you recall when the autopilot started, roughly? I mean, like, was it 20 years? Was it? You know what? It started when I had, when I went back to work after Aya, my eldest. Your your eldest, okay. After your first child. Yeah, she's now 12. And I remember at the time thinking, I'm going to do this, you know? And I remember thinking like, no matter what, I'm going to do this. Just crazy, right? The other day I posted no. something on my on my stories about this woman that was talking about I don't know if I can mention this, but she was talking about, you know, periods. And she was yes, like you can mention anything here. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just saying, you know what? Imagine a man bleeding for five days. <laughs> You know, and having, oh, she was saying that some expert compared the pain of a period pain to heart attacks. Mm. She's like, imagine a man bleeding for five days with pain like a heart attack and actually going every single day to work and still saying, we're going to do this. We're going to do the yeah. best we can. We're going to like, what are we telling people? What are we telling this generation of, of girls? You know what? Pop that baby. 45 yeah. days, go run back, back, run back. I used to pump. <laughs> Sorry again for these no, details. No, no, my, my wife did the exact same thing no, with no. our first child. But so Hashem, I fully relate to this. In Milan, 
okay, in the showroom of Ralph Lauren, like you can't get chicer than that building, really. Like it's just one of the most beautiful historical buildings in Milan in a tiny little bathroom while a whole sales campaign is happening outside and I was pumping and the sound of these pumps back then was super <laughs> loud and I had to do it and I did it and I kept doing it and I thought, you know what, hustle culture, you could do this. But no, when COVID happened, I don't know if it's when COVID happened or the fact that I was also, you know, um, I'm now 44. I was like around, you know, 43 years old. I was at a point where I started questioning the next phase in my life. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, again, the hustle, the running, the craziness. No, I want to breathe. Yeah. Having said that and mentioning breathing, I had also, right before that period, discovered breathwork. Before COVID? Yes. Were you feeling that you needed something? Always. That's throughout my life. I discovered therapy um, in 2011 or 10. Okay, so this has been a kind of self-awareness path. Absolutely. You just accelerated in COVID, but it's not like you walk, You were running, 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 running since you had your child, first child, and then all of a sudden you were like, okay, I can't do this. No, you, you were aware that something had to change. I mean, there's always, I was always a very curious person. Mm. I cared about self-development. Okay. Therefore, I worked so much on my career. I worked on my marriage. I worked on being a mother. I worked on my fitness throughout my life. What's so driving this? Do you mind me asking? <sighs> We talked a little bit about offline and I'll let yeah. you speak as, as freely as you'd like to, but what's driving this constant need for, I'm not going to call it perfection, but, you know, self-improvement. I mean, mm. because I mean, I, 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 I can relate to this <laughs> and I know many others that can, that's why I'm asking. You feel, I mean, I can tell you about myself. I feel sometimes that it, part of it is frankly not ever feeling good enough and constantly feeling I need to do more, even though no one's telling me this. And the feedback I'm getting is not that I'm not good enough. But there's a bit of that inherent feeling. Mm. Sometimes I think it's good because it pushes me more, but sometimes I think it's terribly unhealthy. I don't know if that's where this is coming from. I'm curious. I mean, it's, it's such a great question because if I were to reflect on it, every phase was coming from someplace. Okay. You know, if you Fair. ask me today, where is this coming from? I could say a huge part of it is the impact that I want to leave. And I feel the mortality. I feel my mortality oh, after COVID. A legacy type of... Um, I'm like... You know, if I'm doing... You're too young for a legacy. Yeah, it's, it's not a question about legacy. Actually, I don't care about what I leave behind when impact. I'm... Impact today. And how can I... You know, as a chief transformation officer, we were always talking about how can we use technology and data to be able to reach a much larger audience. How can we use data at scale, right? Everything was about how do we get things at scale? And today you have the tools and you have everything to get to scale. And I realized that I also do because social media is there, right? Yeah. The internet yeah. is there. And if my message can impact three people and they tell me that it really changed their life, then why can't I have a bigger role to play? It's so interesting because I see parallels between, from what you're telling me, between your personal life as well and your career. I mean, you're saying kind of working on my marriage and working on my life and working... But when you took that job with Shalhoub, which was a very big job, a draconian yes. job, frankly, yeah. it's also kind of working on, you know, it's, it has a transformational element and then you leverage technology to try to accelerate it, right? It's a tool. Yeah, I mean, look, when I took my job with Shalhoub, it was 2006. Um, I took a job to manage the Ralph Lauren Middle East operation. I didn't take a job with Shalhoub at the time. Correct. You know, it was, I wanted to work for Ralph to Lauren, etc. The, the, you know, the great thing about 
you know, my experience with Shell Hoop is that they knew how to keep me engaged and they knew how to... Throughout. Throughout. Because for me, I'm a projects person. I said this to somebody recently. I do projects, I hand them over. Once they're done, I'm not interested anymore. That's so Move me to the next yeah. thing. And that's the thing is that with Shell Hoop, yes, I was there for 15 years, but I was there yeah. five times three. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't 15. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. there was the Ralph Lauren time. And then there was a Level Shoes uh, project, you know, which was till this day, I think, my proudest and funnest uh, experience. And then there was the transformation uh, part. Can we zoom a bit on the Level Shoes part? Please. Because that is also yes. very interesting. Nothing against Ralph Lauren, but that's more of a traditional job in a sense. And then you've created, not your job being traditional, meaning the brand is a brand that's been around for a long time. Level Shoes was created out of vapor. How was it one day you were, you, we were all sitting in the office and said, you know what, let's do that? How did it, how did this happen? So funny enough, when I was ready to wrap up my Ralph Lauren um, time was a huge transition in my personal life as well, because that's when I uh, had Aya. So that was my first child. I went back. I Like I told you, I went to Milan. I did everything. And then I had a bit of a burnout. And I said, you know what? I'm done with Ralph Lauren. I'm done with luxury the way it used to be at the mm. time. Traditional was, luxury. It was, yeah, it was very much about this is how it is. You just implement it in your region. And I started working Hashem when I was 16 Amazing. on the shop floor. So I'm a customer type. You of grew up in Montreal? Yes. Okay. I grew, uh, first part of my life was in Riyadh until okay. I was like 10, 11. And okay. then we moved to Montreal. So that's where I did my high school and studies. But I was always working since a very young age. So I have, let's say, I don't know, it's just in me completely understanding how the relationship with customers, you know, happens. Yeah. And, and so when you sit down with management and visions and strategy in the luxury world, I'm saying... And you just, it doesn't make any common sense to you that when strategy is being built in New York and you need to apply it in Dubai Mall or in Saudi Arabia at the time or in Qatar, I mean, we opened so many stores and there's there's definitely a disconnect. So when the Shell Hoop group came up with, you know, the, the willingness to start creating their own fashion concepts um, and I was given the opportunity to lead this, uh, I jumped on it. I took a three-month sabbatical. I went to Montreal. I decompressed. That's when I really worked on my more personal side. side. I came back from the sabbatical in October of 2011. And the CEO um, of Hoop Group said, I just leased 9,000 square meters in Dubai Mall to create the first, the biggest, the, sorry, he would never say the biggest, the first a shoe, a luxury shoe destination of that size. Can I just pause here for a second? Mm -hmm. What's so interesting about this is you have a group like Shalhoub that is essentially is the fashion group of imported brands. So you would think that doing something homegrown will disrupt, you know, their business. This is a bit like in the F&B world. If I had, if I was Zuma group and I have Zuma and Koi and LPM, these are all imported brands brought to Dubai. And all of a sudden I said, you know what, I'm going to create a Home, homegrown brand, like a lighthouse or the main or whatever, to disrupt my own business. You'd actually mm -hmm. think it doesn't make sense. But it's brilliant because they obviously realized, to your point exactly, I'm guessing here, that the local audience and the customer needed something customized for our region that is not just marching orders from Milan or London or New mm -hmm. York. Not mm -hmm. that this doesn't work, it does. Mm -hmm. But that they would relate to it differently. Was that? But But for them to be already having these big names that they import, exactly. to be willing to do this is a, it's very ballsy, I have to say. 
I mean, definitely. And at the same time, it's, you know, it's, it's a company that was always built on such strong relationships with the brands. So the fact that these brands trusted them, trusted them, yeah. that helped the concept a lot from day one. Mm. So uh, the vision, definitely, you know, the entrepreneurial vision and the risk taking is ballsy, as you say it. Uh, but there was a belief that we know our customer, you know, we know what is missing in the market, that gap. Luxury shoes at the time and shoes in general as a category was starting to really boom and was underrepresented. Correct. So at the end of the day, the convenience. Yeah, exactly. Everything under one roof that was created, you know, by level shoes. Yes. And we used to always say when we were designing it that we want to create a place for the shoe obsessed. And I used yes. to love that because at the end of the day, Shoeholics. yeah, if you're obsessed with that category, you want everything there is over there. So خلاص, if somebody is looking for shoes today, I mean, seriously. That's where no, you go. Why would you go anywhere else? Correct. You have everything there. What's so interesting, though, is this did not necessarily extend beyond shoes. So in other words, level kids, which in theory is the same thing, did not have the same success. Mm-hmm. What do you attribute that to? Is it the product or is it that there was a fatigue Or is it the location? I'm very curious, it's kind of from a retail perspective, what you think were the reasons it didn't have the same level of success. I don't think it's a concept. I okay. think the concept was a brilliant, brilliant concept because the idea, again... Same thing. Can I, you imagine? I, a I parent, have a child. Yeah. You, as you said, yeah. I'm working. Yeah. I just left. Yeah. I have a child at home. I want to buy a gift. Boom, 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 boom. Exactly. So, so I think it's more operational. I think okay. it could have been, you know, a footfall, etc. But I think, and I hope, to see level kids come out in Res- other areas. Resurrected. I hope so. Was technology always something that you embraced or and I'm going to I'm moving forward as you took on a role as chief transformation or chief digital officer was that always or was it more of a relationship with Shalhoub or Patrick Shalhoub or the family and them saying you know what Rania you're brilliant you've done this this and this now do this for us which is a very difficult job again mm. but was technology part innate to you or just a means to an end? So my role was chief transformation officer. It was not chief digital Digital and it was not chief technology. Interesting. And I think, you know, I... I, That's the um, difference, yeah. It's it's very different Mm. because um, a lot of people still link transformation to to technology technology and digital. Frankly, I do too. So I thought of it that way. You didn't think of it that way. You know, the other day I was moderating a talk with Gary Vee. And what I love, my God, he has so much energy. A lot of people say, you know, he's a motivator. I'm like, he's not a motivational speaker. That's not what his role is. This guy is an entrepreneur. Yeah, for sure. He's a visionary. This guy is a creator. He's a, but you know how he, he, um, He talks about himself as a, an anthropologist. Mm. And he goes, I study human behavior. And mm. I have a very, uh, you know, a strong uh, instinct when it comes to human behavior changes and shifts. And I see them from the beginning. And therefore, I take a risk on the trends that I see before they become, um, uh, you know. Manifest themselves. Did, exactly. you, did you feel that was, you, so, did you feel the same way? Absolutely. About your role there, okay. Absolutely. What were so. the trends that you saw that you wanted to see happen, Chalhoub? So a few, th- a few things at mm. the time was, so I always see the transformation linked to people. Okay, Okay. Uh, and people are the people that work with you and your audience and your community. And so if you want to see the transformation, so it's really around these two pillars. 
I don't like the word transformation. Yeah, yeah. Because transformation means you were asleep for a very long time and you need to wake up. It has a negative connotation almost, like something needs transforming. Exactly. Um, Unfortunately, unfortunately, in in very big organizations, uh, uh, sometimes it takes time to wake up to these things because the teams and the operation is always so busy operating, operating. And not enough time studying data, looking at what's happening, and really putting your being anthropologists. We need, if you're in the service industry, you need to be an anthropologist. You need to be ahead of time. I used to love when Steve Jobs said, "If I'm going to ask my customers what they want, when am I ever going to innovate?" Right? <laughs> and that's why I dis- but it's very Steve Jobs. Not yeah. many people. <laughs> but Anjad, how much che- I used to hate when some of the teams would do these like uh, what are they surveys? Called? No, not the surveys. When they when they put people in a room, focus, focus groups. groups. Oh yeah. my god, I cannot stand focus groups. Yeah, well, I'm not here. I not cannot that I have to because do. I'm like, why would that person necessarily? Why would five people? Random opinion, people, random people, and you change your strategy based on yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you like, either, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't care if you don't yeah. like it. You're either yeah. a visionary, and that's another thing, is you know, the opinions are great, you know, but I want to know what the market is saying. I want to know yeah. how people are behaving. That's what I will take. I don't, I don't. Opinions are not enough. It's so interesting that you link it all to studying people. It's, yes, I mean, this is the way you look at it, and yes. clearly when you're looking at. You obviously work with a lot of retail brands mm. and still now in your current yes. job, right? You consult for different yes. brands. Your focus, because you were giving me some advice offline a few minutes ago, and it's very sort of people-focused. It's how they perceive your brand, which a lot of brands and you know maybe forget or mm. take for granted. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, again, I really, I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky to have, you know, organically grown my career into where I am, but it's really, I've always been in the service industry and I've always studied people's behavior. Maybe I would say, uh, you know, I have a good sense of energies, of people skills, of people sure. connections, et cetera, and that has helped me you know, to reach what I've reached, not because, um, you know, great at numbers or because yeah, yeah. I'm great at technology, like we said, or etc. But I know what we need to put together in order to reach that experience. So I want to pause here. So you're looking at all these retail brands now. I mean, Dubai has a lot of retail brands, like from the luxury ones that you've worked with previously to smaller brands, boutiques, concept stores, you name it. And when I bracket even F&B with retail, so the entire service industry in that sense. I agree with you fully. Like when we started the Lighthouse, it was all about the experience. And we talked about this offline for a minute. We wanted a more holistic experience that really it kind of almost takes in all your senses, not just what you're eating, but what you're looking at, what you're hearing, the whole thing. But that's incredibly hard. How do you think all these brands that are used to doing things in a certain way today have a chance of surviving, especially in a market like Dubai that's completely saturated. I mean, very, very competitive market. What advice would you give? I mean, I know it's a bit broad of a question, but... I honestly don't think that they can't survive. Yeah, okay. If you don't very have honest. your pulse on who your audience is, and I always say audience because you're interacting with your audience... Every day. Every day outside of your physical locations. So if you're not really engaged and take that as a first and foremost. And we used to always say customer at the heart, customer at the heart, but it is customer at the heart. It's ah. your audience. Today, you're, you really don't, I don't think you have, it's not sustainable. It really isn't. 
not because there's a huge competition and because there's so many doors, etc. It's just the world has changed. Before that, it was literally open your doors. And if there's going to be X amount of tourists this month, we're going to have high sales. <laughs> now it's not about this. You can have during COVID, do you know how many brands have like killed it? Killed it. Yeah. The customers gravitated towards the high quality, what they perceived the brands they can trust. And the rest fell off. And, and you need to be very agile because yeah. if my customers today in COVID, you know, wanted to be home, then I need to react. I don't just yeah. keep on saying, la, la. you need to react. I did a talk in New York in 2012. And I remember feeling so silly by saying this on stage. But then when I look back, I remember, I mean, we launched Level Shoes in 2012 when Instagram was just starting, mm. right? So we were mm. Instagram first. Mm. Uh, all our content was about Instagram at the time. And I think that was, you know. so Very what early. I did, it was early. Um, and by the way, little anecdote, it was a junior buyer on the team who is now a big influencer. <laughs> and that junior buyer that was on the team would hear me because we were a tiny team when we started telling everybody, this is what I want for Facebook, Facebook. And he'd be saying, guys, no one cares Facebook. about Facebook anymore. Like, Nobody cares about Facebook. <laughs> it's all about Instagram. I'm like, what is this thing? He's like, come. He opened my account. He showed me how to post. I went to the Maldives. I came back. I told him, Mahmoud, there's not a single like on this. He's like, you're private. Remove it. And he, I swear to God, he started telling me about my filters, about my hashtags. That's how I learned about Instagram. And that's why Instagram was the heart of it. Now, as a leader of this new concept, you know, I was nervous as hell. I mean, launching something like this. I wanted it to work. But there wasn't enough data at the time. We weren't structured in a way for me to get immediate feedback. My feedback was every evening to the, you know, to the horrible dismay of my team, but I would read every single comment under every single picture to see how people are reacting. And for me, that was so heavenly because for the first time in my career, I had instant feedback, mm. instant feedback yeah. on the spot. And I would send this, I'm like, guys, this person said this, this about these shoes. Did you reply? Why didn't you reply? Sorry. Why didn't you do this? And then every buyer that would join my team would have to have an Instagram account. If they didn't, okay. I would make them add it on the spot because we started doing our research on brands, not in fairs, you know, not in... Uh, You're 100% right. It was all on social media. So that flipped. Yani Farah does all our community management online. And honestly, sometimes I peek into the account, the amount of al-hawar yani, that's yeah. happening online yeah. yes. is like, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, and she obviously feeds, feeds us all this information over time. But sometimes I just peek into, because I'm curious. And... To your point exactly, I mean, the amount of interaction, feedback, feeling you get for your own brand by having those interactions, and we're very lucky to be able to do it online and offline, um, but it's so interesting because people have different personas, some people are much more comfortable sending you a DM, some people are willing to tell you in, your per in person, it's brilliant. Um, but but the, see, this is what, the options are there for you, the question is, as an entrepreneur, are you willing to use the tools that are out there for you or not. Do you want to outsource this to an agency and then yeah, get a report me. once a month? That's up to you. We, we, we did this for uh, two months. It was a disaster. Yeah. 
Then I begged her to come so back. So I in-house everything Not that I asked her to leave, time. by the way. Here, she just fled. Let's <laughs> so be very clear on this. She, she left me. I didn't tell her. But anyway, <laughs> that was like, you have to come back. I can't do this. You're exactly right. It, it completely lost its voice. I mean, you know, in a very, very crucial voice, right? Yeah, you have um, to own it. This is, and I, I'm a huge believer of, of this. Today, having a 12-year-old, you know, uh, in, in my home, and I see the power that TikTok has, yeah. not just the on hold. the... Yeah, but you know what's unbelievable with TikTok? Is that TikTok is reviving dead brands. Come on. Not because the brand had the strategy to be on TikTok, because the audience decided that yes. was cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. Sah, voter's choice. Yeah, Did you see what happened with that drink last yeah. year? With that YouTuber, big TikToker, Charlie uh, D- DiMello, I think. Anyways, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So she created that drink. And then, oh, my God. I'm like, how do you revive a brand overnight? No, and it was the beauty. As you said, it's, it's being driven by consumers deciding yes. that yes. we want to make this cool. Yes. And they just go with it. Uh, and which, which is, is the opposite of powerful. Instagram. Yeah, the opposite of Instagram. It's super powerful. When we come back, we'll delve a bit more into Nair's personal transformation and why we both dislike the concept of quick wins right after the short break. Welcome back. I'm Hasha Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Raniel Khatib. I want to go uh, for a minute to uh, something you said earlier about your own personal journey. So, you know, again, going through, doing some research for this episode, and I was just going through some of your articles and blogs, and, and I mentioned this earlier, but I want to go a bit deeper into this. It's very obvious that you not only have been documenting this for the last, let's say, two, since COVID, two years, you're showing vulnerability, you are questioning, sometimes you're even contradicting yourself, and you're willing to do this openly every day. Why? Is it, and I'm going to just guess here, is it part of having built this persona as a you know, very successful businesswoman, uh, iconic in some ways, a lot of people know you, but maybe there was a, a, did you feel tokenized and now you feel like you have to show another side or were you just fed up and you were like, I want, I'm just so curious, what, what brought this up? I, I think um, a big part of it was that growing, growing up you know, and going through my journey, there was very little... Uh, female references mm. that I had um, that were vulnerable enough. Mm. Um, you had to show strength. They always showed strength. They always looked a certain way, and I copied it. I read the books. You know, I read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. I, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this in one of my, you know, maybe my stories when I then discovered the Lean Out book. I just yes. love that story yes. so much. But anyways, that so the first time I ever heard um, a woman that I looked up to be vulnerable was Angela Ahrens, who used to be the CEO of, of uh, Burberry. Burberry. I was going to say, yeah, then and went then, to Apple. Exactly. Correct. Went on to be the head of retail for Apple and did so much with retail around community <laughs> she stores. She these retail stores I mean, and became like a hub by themselves. Yes. And funny enough, uh, she's now on the board of Ralph Lauren. Oh, okay. Uh, but she spoke um, about how she led her team as a woman, how she cried sometimes, um, you know, when openly. things just got openly, how her husband, her and her husband decided that he would be a stay-at-home dad and what a fantastic dad he was so that she can have the time to do what she did. I'm like, wow. 
I'm like, oh my God, this is how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> like, finally, there's a woman that's just saying it the way it is, you know, whereas the lean in methodology was always about fitting in, 100%. making a place for yourself, fighting, fighting, fight. it was always about fighting, fighting, fight. I'm not bossy, I'm this, I'm not. And all of a sudden, I see this feminization of this amazing, brilliant woman. And I felt that was more me. You can relate to that. And it gave me the permission to start speaking like that uh, openly. Did you get, sorry to interrupt you, some uh, maybe comments or feedback from some people that supporters that are saying you're letting us down because, you know, if women start looking vulnerable and no. did you or, or no? I'm just Abs very curious about the feedback. Absolutely not. Or I mean, what was interesting is that the feedback I used to get all the time before once people met me or whatever, they're like, oh, you're much nicer than your persona <laughs> or, oh, you're not like what people say you are. So I realized that for a long time I had to create that persona. persona of course. Um, and I owed it to myself also to kind of chill, first of all, because I started becoming that persona. Yeah. I started becoming that hard. Yeah, and you're getting calls, Rania, can you represent in this conference? You're the only yeah. woman in the C-suite. Yeah. So how did you resist these, these calls and these temptations? We talked about this earlier. Honestly, I did a lot of them. Okay. I didn't say no. Do you regret uh, it? But most of the time, I didn't do them as a woman, talking about women. Uh, talking about myself as a woman has really just happened in the past few years. It was okay. mostly about talking about retail, talking about customer, talking about tech, which is amazing. That's so fine. I, that's yeah. your job. I mean, that's yeah. great. But, but you it, didn't feel they were coming to you because you were the woman that's in the C-suite that's successful. Within the company, for instance, yes. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll use an example. I once had a conversation with one of the training leadership managers in the company, and she said that X and X and X want you as their mentor because they were creating a mentorship program. And the X and X and X were all women. And I said, do they want me as their mentor because I'm great in transformation and retail and this or because I'm a woman? And I don't know how I felt about that. Interesting. You know, I don't know how I felt about the fact that a woman wants me as a mentor, as a woman, uh, because she wants to learn how I'm juggling everything as a woman or how I'm balancing things um, or because of my skills. And somewhere it came to me, but I'm not just, you know, uh, a woman that's juggling everything. Having said that, the vulnerability part is to say, no, I was juggling a lot more than I should. And did you have to do uh, phase A to get to phase B? In other words, had you not juggled, had you not succeeded, do you think you would have the authenticity today to be able to say, it's okay if a ball drops? Probably not. Yeah, I, I think so too. I'm just, yeah. I'm just curious. There's two things. There's one is obviously the maturity and the experience and the confidence. I built a lot of confidence. Yeah. I built my voice. The credibility. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you say so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in, in the sense of, you know, I mean, you know, I mean yeah. at the end of the day, right? I mean, the career speaks for itself. So yeah. I think credibility with an audience as well, I'll be very honest. I mean, you know, I just think that while that is a normal instinct, it's probably a lot harder for man or woman to come out of nowhere and say, you know what, guys, it's fine to, to, to let the ball drop every once yeah. in a while. I think the reaction, sadly, would usually be, who are you to, to tell me this? Yeah. But I think you've had stage A and now you're in stage B. You're being very vocal about. Yeah, I that. mean, look, I, I, you know, I had uh, Lulu uh, through IVF. Your second daughter. Uh, my second daughter. It was a big journey. It was, and while I was, you know, creating so much, right, and 
I don't want the next generation to go through that. Mm. You know, first of all, fertility. I, again, I can't remember what the number is. I, I said it in one of my videos. I think it's one out of four women have to go through IVF to get pregnant today. Which is probably extremely painful, I would imagine. It's it's, it's just, it's yeah. honestly, it's, uh, again, and even when I was going through it, I didn't want to admit that it was painful. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, just get through it, just yeah. get through it. No, I don't want an employee of mine to be going through this and for me not to make sure that she has the right setup and environment to be able to still be productive and happy during that time. So today I have somebody that told me she's going through IVF. I said to her, did you tell your manager? Of course not. And she said, no. I'm like, not. why? And, and, and funny enough, I know her manager and I know that her manager would be very understanding. Yeah. But it's just the thought of saying, no, it's something that I need to keep to myself. Woman, you are going through one of the most difficult. You're injecting yourself with hormones on a daily basis. You're going through disappointments. You're fighting with your husband. You're feeling like you're not human. This is huge. So when we talk about customer experience and, and, and managing and learning about the behaviors in order for us to customize services, the same thing applies to humanity in general. So if you ask me today, why am I being so vulnerable? It's because these things have to happen to transform the way that we work, the way that we engage with each other, because there, it's not sustainable. It just isn't. And you want more women in, in the workplace, then you need to definitely design a workplace that is also for women, not bring women into a workplace that is designed by men for men. So this, um, this I could be a separate podcast on its own, but that's a realization, an aha moment that I had when I started thinking about all these things. Well, what's so interesting about what you're doing also is, frankly, you could have waited 20 years and do this in your <laughs> 60s. Now, I'm being honest, yeah. I would have probably notched up a, a few more, you know, a big yeah. career moves. And then people would be like, well, you know, she's had this now. The wiz But you're doing this at a young age. I mean, you've kind of decided to not jump off, but you know what I mean? Can yes. take a different path. I mean, you know, I, I can fully relate to this. But in my case, I felt there were some external things that came at me that made me realize that I wanted to make a change and I left banking and then moved into this career and so on and so forth. But you seem to have done it a little bit, it was more gentle. I mean, maybe mm. COVID was a little bit of a precursor, yeah. but you kind of sat with yourself and felt, I want to make a change, even though I'm sure you could have taken three, four more very high powered, and maybe you will in the future, opportunities, you know, as a CEO or, or, or something like that. So as you're kind of in this very interesting phase and sitting with it, where do you think that takes you? Would, would your, or is your interest in building your own personal brand or do you see yourself taking all these learnings, that level of self-actualization and putting it on top of a company that already exists? I, I don't have the answer okay. today. What I can tell you is um, I'm really taking time to better understand what it is that I don't want. Okay. And those things I can tell you mm -hmm. what I don't want. Um, how much can I do today? Uh, first of all, I'm still able to do so much and I'm doing so much. You are. Uh, yet you're right. I'm not like focused in one area. And I just, for the first time in my life, and I said this in, in a Vogue article when I announced my sabbatical or my move is I just want to be. Mm. How, do you know the power of being able to just be and not have to have everything planned? My life until I stopped or I paused or whatever you want to call it was it was planned. <laughs> and I mean, everything was planned. Everything. Yeah. 
And it was always about, yeah, milestone after milestone after milestone. And then when I started seeing what was happening to this, like one day overnight, the whole world was just, you know, hey, surprise, things are not. Does it scare you to be in that position? Are you able to sit with it? I was, I was. I was obviously very scared. And a lot of people said it it took courage. It took a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. It did take a lot of courage, but... Um, it didn't happen as naturally as it seemed to people on the outside. I had a lot of struggles with it. It took, you know, it took a while. Now, the discipline that I have as a person, because I'm very disciplined, is I made sure that I finished the project that I had. Were your kids all of a sudden like, what the hell, mom is here all the time? <laughs> 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 what happened there? Because they're but not, see, I mean, especially your not. elder one, she's not that young. You're no, not. I understand, but I'm saying they must have, as you, you told me yes. this earlier, and I agree, yeah. they they absorb your energy. Yes. So there's a new energy now yes. that's coming. How has that rift off with them? I mean, have they commented on it? Do you think that they feel it? That Obviously, you're, you're as busy, but doing something very different, and it True. seems to have a lot of purpose and self-actualization is, is a big True. part of it. Uh, for you, that is. Yeah. How how has that worked out at home? I'm just curious, if you don't mind sharing. I mean, for one, I really miss having an office. So that <laughs> has to happen. <laughs> any day. You Thank like the you. table already. So, you know, so we'll get a something. side table <laughs> and you'll be here any day. Coffee's on uh, the house. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving being... I'm actually at the lighthouse a lot. <laughs> I work a Thank lot. You. Ask the guys at Mall of the Emirates. I, I know that. Thank you. I'm, I'm there because I love it. But, Thank you. Um, it's, it's just, it feels so natural. Mm. Whatever this transition so is, it feels so natural. I used to not understand when women would tell me, um, you know, how are you not there when they come back from school? It's such an important time. It's such an important age. And I'm like, ugh, the they're so judgmental. The yeah, they're so judgmental. They're so whatever. You know what? At that time, I didn't need to be there. Maybe they didn't need me. Maybe they did. You know, whatever happened, happened. They are, alhamdulillah, healthy and everything is fine, you know, so far. But now when I am there at least twice a week, when they come back from school, I feel like it's so naturally where I need to be and where I want to be now. And I always say it to all my friends, to, you know, online, everything. The days where I'm fulfilled and happy, they're fulfilled and happy. Mm. The days I'm stressed and unhappy, they feel it. All they care about is mom's energy. Mm. They really don't care if I'm around the house as long as I'm around their house and I'm chilled. I buy that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, you know, that you could be, you know, around them now. Am I on top of their thing? They're busier than I am. Kids nowadays are so <laughs> busy, right? <laughs> They're busier than I am. But I just love being able to do my sport at a decent hour. Now I enjoy sports. I don't yeah, do it yeah, because exactly. I it's have not a, to. It's not torture. Yeah. yeah. I enjoy being able to have an hour here and there to see friends during the week, which I never used to do. Um, I enjoy uh, being able to see my kids during the afternoon when they're not tired, you know, completely tired, yeah, which yeah, used to grumpy, be what I did yeah. before. So all of my choices and my priorities have completely, right now they're different. I'm not saying my priorities were wrong then. No, I'm just no, saying at this point it, it, in my life. It's a different phase of your life. It's a, dis- it, it's a different phase. And Hashem, I really don't know what it is. If it was COVID, if it's age, if it's humanity, what's happening to this world. But I really feel I can't take my time for granted. And I want to make the best out of what I have with my family and with my friends today. 
that comes as a priority. How do you work it out that you don't slowly, there's an emission creep, right? Where you get back and Rania's calendar moves yes. from two meetings a day, yeah. three, four, six, nine. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're more or less back to where you were. Yeah. Maybe it's on your own time and, you know, not working for a company, but still, how do you balance that? I'm asking this honestly for selfish reasons because I've, I have a similar agenda to yours in the sense of, really very purposely creating my own time because I need it. Even to just grow my own brand, I need that, that, that time. Mm. But I feel that, yeah, slowly you start kind of nudging away. So it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, yesterday evening I was talking to a friend about this. And this past month, because I have family visiting and because, alhamdulillah, I had, you know, a few great clients and I had a lot of things happening, I found that that's what happened to my schedule. Mm. And therefore, that impacted my mental health and physical health. Immediately. Yeah, yani, la, uh, you know, last week I got sick for two days and I tested a million times for COVID and I was negative. My husband said, are you just underestimating the pressure that you, that's on you this month? This is your body saying, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, خلاص, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, stop it. And you know this ring that I wear called Aura and I'm, I'm not pitching it because I'm really unhappy with their service. But <laughs> that's what, great. Yes, the pitch, pitch. Exactly. Okay. And I've told them about it a lot on okay. social media. Okay. Um, but what I love is that it measures uh, my readiness, you know, and sleep and etc. And it has, you know, all of these biometrics. Um, and immediately, wallahi, the minute that I, you know, when you talk about that fog, and I talked about it when I stopped, you know, my 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 crazy life and that fog started disappearing, I started seeing that fog. The minute it comes, I check my biometrics. They're like, you didn't sleep properly. Yeah. You didn't rest enough. Didn't you, know, exercise. you didn't exercise or you didn't, you know, have a little bit of data. It's time for you to rest. Mm. So I, um, so you listen to your body essentially. I'm, I listen and I'm aware of it. Now, do I do it? Sometimes no, Absolutely. but if I'm doing it, I'll take the consequences of it. Manage your schedule differently. There was no need for you to be out last night till 12.30, uh, you know, a.m. If you're supposed to have such a day, today. So again, there are things. And my friend asked me, so what gives? I said, honestly, the first thing that has to take a break during these times usually would be my social life. Yeah. You know, there are places where you're just going to have to say no. And maybe also your social life is getting transformed. Right? I mean, I felt it with mm. myself. I spent a lot less time. I, I spend more time with very few people, but a lot less time with many, many other people. Not that I don't like those people. It's just something has to give, to your yeah. point. And that's the price I have to pay, and I'm okay with that. I kind of made yeah. peace with it. So I keep telling myself, when I find myself not pausing, I remind myself, Rania, you stopped all of this so that you can be in the moment. Ah, you are. That's very important. I constantly tell myself this because sometimes I panic. And again, yeah, for me. Yeah, I, I planned for myself to be able to be a lot more chilled. We we change some things in our household in the way that we do things for us to be able to do no. what I'm doing. So why am I trying to go back to being that? Because it's you know? it's a muscle that's yeah. that's you've used. You know, I, I do the same thing and I remind myself. And then sometimes it turns a negative or stressful situation to something more positive. I just remember I signed up for this. You know, yeah. no one no one's told me to do this. Exactly. So I signed up for it. So I should live with the consequences, but also the ability to discipline myself to be to do what I need to do and not more than that. Yeah. But it's uh, like you said earlier, I mean, we don't get it right every day. And then there's the patience. Um, and again, I hope, you know, your story uh, and, you know, the success that you have with the lighthouse can be and is an inspiration to me. Thank you. 
um, you know, to be patient. It's not supposed to be a quick win. Yes. And I hate that word, quick win. I hate it so much. <laughs> God, I used to always get, that was the advice that I would get always from, you know, managers. But we need quick wins. We need quick wins. For what? For who? Yeah, for me. You know, in a way, you know, build something and with consistency and discipline, you'll get there. So my question to myself is today, what is it that I need to focus on with consistency and discipline and be patient with, you know, um, while I'm getting there so that I don't deviate back into what people want me to do or what people expect for me to do. So, you know. Quick wins are vastly overrated. Mm. I agree with you, but it's very hard to, for oneself to, to, to kind of know this, believe it, act on it. Yeah. Almost everything worthwhile takes a very long time, as we all know. Mm-hmm. I keep reminding myself of that. But you're also in a society, obviously, that is completely geared towards quick wins and yeah. quick reactions to everything. But you know this very well. So one of my impressions from my banking days, one of the very interesting things was the really, truly lasting brands stayed even over and above what they should have. So some of them were at some point, in my view, dysfunctional. Yet they last another 10 years because... They were 20 years in the building or 30 or 40 years. So that buildup is so valuable that it carries you even beyond your real time. And people don't realize that with brands. And you said this earlier, this kind of connection you build with consumers or with your customers. Once you have it, that will carry you. Mm. So all you need to do is tweak and refine. You don't need these constant quick wins. And you know, there's also the... The culture, I mean, the new entrepreneurial culture of the VC world and, you know, the startups that are trying to like 10x in order to whatever, et cetera. And if you're around that world a little bit too much, you start, you start, uh, yeah, you start feeling like you're missing out. Like uh, pre-2008 Dubai, whenever Anwar and I would be sitting at any social event, people are talking about real estate. We'd go back home and say, oh my God, you know, we, we missed out. Like, what are we doing? We need to, yeah. we need to <laughs> buy and buy, flip yeah. and blind yeah. flip. And, yeah. and then post 20, 2008, we just hugged each other. We're like, thank <laughs> God we didn't. So sometimes you need to stay focused in your lane and not, you know, there's so much. I couldn't, agree, I couldn't agree more with you and with this venture captain. We've had a few people on our show here mm. that are either VC funded or VCs themselves. And I interact with a lot of them uh, in a day to day. But I agree with two points you made. One is there is they have this pressure for this sort of 10x to get the unicorn. Mm-hmm. So what they say that the investment that returns the fund, and therefore they try to get every company they invest in, no, yeah, which is normal, to be that company and push them really hard, sometimes too hard. Number two, there is something about the discipline of not being awash with cash. And when I look at some of my friends or some of the companies we see today raising tens of millions of dollars, some cases hundreds of millions of dollars, it's honestly impressive, but also in many cases leads you to make decisions that are impulsive and that are easy to make. When you don't have that, like, um, like uh, the way we used to have pocket money from our parents, you have to think it through. Mm-hmm. And one of the decisions we made at the Lighthouse, for example, was very, very, very consciously that Me to too. always raise just enough if we need to, so that we're able to keep growing, but a little uncomfortable yes. because it leads to friction, that friction leads to conversation that makes us very, very disciplined. But the drop side, the drop side of this is nothing happens very quickly. 
So we cannot in one year mm. make huge strides because we're not, we don't have $100 million in the bank account. But I'm very comfortable with that. So you Exactly. Know. And you're the founder and you need to be comfortable with, you know, again, it starts. I remember an investor once asking me is, you know, when I was telling her about a, a company and she said to me, is this an, SM, an SME or yes. is this a VC uh, company? Funded company, a startup, yeah. So, and that for somebody like me that comes from the world of brands and the worlds of creating something was a That's big so opening. So <laughs> I'm like, opening, yeah. Oh, you're right. No, you know, I probably, it, it, just differentiating them makes it okay. You yes. know, not an SME does not need to be no. a VC. And a VC no. does not need, cannot no. be an SME or else they won't, no. you know, so, but then if you're a leader of an SME or if you're a leader of the, you know, VC uh, backed uh, company, then you lead in a very different way. You're a hundred percent right. Right. But you realize what they tell these companies. Um, they tell them, if you don't do it, someone else will. So if you don't raise a hundred million dollars, your competitor will raise 200 million and eat you alive. That is what, what led to this race to the top in a in funny way. I don't know where it's going to end, but having just, you know, observed historically in investing and so on, these go through cycles. Mm. And the problem with once you turn on that kind of cash burn is if the cycle turns on you, you're not able to turn down your cash burn overnight. Exactly. And that's when you see massive layoffs and so on. I hope that doesn't happen, mm. but I'm very conscious of the fact that like anything else, mm. if you overeat, you start having digestive issues. And I really feel today um, that with a lot of those companies, they are raising huge amounts of money very quickly um, without really thinking through why they're doing this. And that that could eventually lead to some, some digestive issues. And, and the digestive issues that you mentioned are core operational fundamentals that eventually exactly. hurt Catch up the company. Exactly. 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 So every time I hear about a brand that I love, okay, that raised a lot of money, um, and then I just start seeing that the customer service is starting to get because they just grew too fast, fast. and they wanted to just grow the top line. So yes, exactly sell, right. sell, sell, grow, grow, grow. But then meanwhile, are you being able to keep the fundamentals still there? The reason why people came to you in the first place? I think that's exactly You know, right. again, you see there's so much. I mean, there's so much going on out there, uh, but very, very debatable if the actual audience and consumer is happy with that product, was it just the investors that are happy with it? That's a very, very good point. That's a great uh, mm. ending point. Rania, that's been fantastic, terrific. <laughs> We're going to continue watching from our perch what you're doing you. and, in your, and, and following your next chapter. And thank and, you again. And, and keep inspiring us your, <laughs> thank you, from thank your you. side. You're so kind. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, for Hashem. Being I really enjoyed thank this. Thank you, Rania. Thank you for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hashem Muntasir. We're produced by Chirag Desai and our content director is Farah Sharif. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, feel free to browse our extensive collection of previous episodes, which you can find on any of your podcast players, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. We'll be back in two weeks with our 50th episode, so stay tuned. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE or send us an email at connect at thelighthouse.ae. And please share a link with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode.